Super excited to be here, if you can't tell. It's a super exciting time to be in the world of startups right now. You wouldn't know it looking necessarily at these guys, but it's a very exciting time. So what am I talking about today? So today I'm basically talking about where did your customers go? Where did your users go? We've all had customers and users that we've managed to acquire and we've paid money or we haven't paid money, but some of them just disappear. So where do they go? So who am I? So I went to the London School of Economics. Uh, I studied economic history. Um, it was really great to meet people there. I didn't do much work, in all honesty. I'm an EIR here at Seedcamp, as Natasha said earlier. I'm also an expert in residence, a guest expert in residence at Harvard Business School, where I tend to drop in every now and then um, to help the MBA students. And I founded a company called Zagora. Uh, so we basically make active wear for women, uh, and we bootstrap that to about $60 million in sales. So the basics. Let's start with the basics. All of these things don't need any talent. So I like to start every presentation with this. So all the things I'm about to tell you, most of which I think are going to be applicable to any kind of a business, you don't need any talent to be able to do any of these things. And loads of people always take pictures of this because it's one of my favorite slides. So go ahead. Don't, feel, don't be shy. Don't be shy. It's also important to think like a hustler. You know, we are all trying to acquire users. We're all trying to acquire customers. That is not to say necessarily we're going to have to pay for them. But we're all trying to get customers. We're all trying to get users. And that takes a lot of hustle. And I think one of the great things for, for Seacamp about for me is that it's full of hustle. You know, because you've got to hustle. And it takes a lot of effort. And it takes a lot of hard work. So you've got to think like a hustler. Um, what do startups have to do to win? This is another thing that I like to cover off always at the beginning. So startups basically need to get to the next level. So wherever you are right now, there'll be another level. And then from that other level, there'll be another level. And sometimes it might be, you know, how is it you're going to raise money? So for instance, you know, do you have a product that works? Do you have a product that people can use? You know, will it blend? If you've ever seen these will it blend videos from Blendtec, you know, is it actually going to work? That's the first thing you have to figure out. If you don't have a product that people can use, it ain't going to really work. You can do as much testing as you want, but you've got to have a usable product. That is to say a product that has at least one usable feature that serves as a pain point uh, solver for people. So basically between pre-seed and seed level, what you're trying to prove is that you can build a product. Between seed and series A, for me, you're trying to prove that you can make this product into a business. And then between really series A and series B is how big of a business can you make this? And so these are the different levels. So, some general thoughts on growth and retention. So the first thing is that everything I'm going to tell you is true pretty much for all businesses because all businesses are selling to people and people can be weird. And so I'm not going to particularly focus on B2C or B2B or B2B2C or any of the other you know, complications that you get into, but you're all selling to people and people can be weird. Also, it's important to note, people don't buy things because of magic. You know, there's a lot of hard work and a lot of effort and a lot of people involved in the process by which people buy products and services. It's mind-blowing if you think about it. Like this is, you know, just a snapshot of the marketing stack. This is Confucius. Confucius would say there can be no growth without retention. I'm sure he would have said that. And, and that's because if you think about it, who here has been a Starbucks? Be honest. Okay, keep up your hand if you've been a Starbucks more than once. Keep up your hand if you've been a Starbucks five times in the last 12 months, right? The customer has to come back. And those businesses where the customer goes back the most are worth the most. You know, Sky is able to pay 100 pounds per click 
on Google AdWords because the customer lifetime value of a Sky customer is 15,000 pounds. Because if you have Sky, you typically go there every day to watch whatever you want to watch. The same could be said for Netflix. How many people have been to Facebook today? How many people go to Facebook more than once a day, right? The average user of Facebook in the UK goes 14 times a day, of which there are 52 million people. So retention is important for a whole bunch of reasons. Keeping your customers increases your customer lifetime value. It reduces your marketing ratio to sales because you don't have to keep acquiring new customers if, you, if you're able to get your existing customers to come back. You can increase, obviously, the total number of customers that you have a lot faster if you're able to keep the ones that you've already acquired. You then get, start to get economies of scale, certainly operational economies of scale. You can amortize those costs across a bigger user base, bigger customer base. You, know, you, you prove product market fit if you're able to keep your customers. That is to say, you're making a product or a service that people want, and they're willing to you know, use it again and again and again. And predictability is very important and very valuable, in particular for investors. Investors love predictability. Investors want you to show them that you've figured out a way to turn their dollar into $50 or $100. So if you can show them a statistically significant model where you can say, right, I'm going to take this money, I'm going to invest it into X, Y, and Z, and I know historically that X, Y, and Z is going to give me this kind of a result. I know that I'm going to put money into this, and I know that all of my marketing metrics, I've got all of my metrics figured out, and that dollar is going to become $5. They love that. A lot of people think that a growth curve looks like this. We've all seen this in, in, when, you've, when you've Googled growth, and you've done an image search on Google, right? This is the kind of thing that goes up. First you have a little bit, then you have some more, then you have some more. But growth doesn't really look like this. Growth typically looks a bit more like this. You know, it kind of goes up a bit, then it comes down, and you try some stuff, and you try one channel, and you turn it off, and you try another one. But over time, you're kind of like, you know, you are growing. This guy is actually much better at talks than I am. And this guy is called Alex Schultz. And Alex Schultz is VP of growth at Facebook. Google and watch this talk, how to get users and grow. Because he will tell you exactly what I'm telling you, but how they did it at Facebook. So Alex joined, um, he actually went to the same school as my son, funnily enough. But he joined the growth team at Facebook, I think in 2009. In September 2009, Facebook stalled at around 60 million monthly active users. And month over month, they didn't grow. That's when Mark Zuckerberg said, right, we're going to get a growth team. And uh, Alex was actually working at eBay. But he has this talk on YouTube where he basically talks about how is it that they um, went about building growth and retention at Facebook and how that became so predictable that they knew in 2011 when they would get to a billion users and then when they get to one and a half billion users and then when they get to two billion users. Their models were so uh, clear. Growth is driven by data, it's driven by hard work and it's driven by spreadsheets. Um, a lot of people ask me about growth hacking and what, what role does growth hacking play in retention? You know, how do I growth hack? You know, and a lot of people have, I think, some misconceptions about growth hacking. So, you know, growth hacking is not changing the color of a button. It's not just split testing. You know, growth hacking is not going viral. Um, growth hacking is actually pretty hard. And growth hacking is really hard because it takes a lot of effort, takes a lot of data, takes a lot of hard work. And so growth hacking also is not paid marketing. 
you know, growth hacking is not spending money on Facebook. It's not spending money on Google. It's what we can definitely say about growth hacking is that it is not paid marketing of any kind or paid advertising. Read this book. If you haven't read this book, I highly recommend you read this book. There's one thing you do this week, read this book, because this is Sean Ellis, who is often considered the sort of founder of growth hacking. And this is really his, his book that explains what growth hacking is. And he'll tell you all the different um, ways in which you can organize yourself, the way that you can analyze data, gather data, organize a team, and actually set up a methodology by which you're going to test and learn and test and learn and go about keeping users. You always start with ideas, then you run tests to have facts. So it's all about having lots of data, but it's also being, you know, beware of the data. Look out for false positives. Is there a correlation between the usage of Internet Explorer and the US murder rate? Not really. So, um, how to analyze retention, develop a process, you know, and start moving the needle in a statistically significant way. So I always start with a whiteboard, much like this one. And it gets really messy. Loads of ideas, loads of you know, things flying around. That's why it's always good to bring a notebook, because you can kind of start to structure it. And then once you've um, done a lot of thinking about how is it that you can keep more users, you then start to put that into a process that you can then execute. So the best approach to everything in my experience in life, any process, is to break it down, but also to break it down in detail, step by step. So user journeys, user flows, customer experience maps, these are really important. Um, if you think of conversion to purchase, conversion to usage, conversion to retaining user, is desire minus friction... And I think that's a reasonable way of thinking about it, right? How much does your, does your customer or your user want your product or service? How much do they need it? And how much friction is there or how many obstacles are there in their way? That is pretty much going to be your conversion rate. So the way I always have thought about it is, how is it that you increase desire? How do you make your product or service as desirable as possible for this particular user? And how do you remove all the friction, all the obstacles, all the misgivings, all the little thoughts that they have at the back of their head? Um, so this is the, the fun interactive part with the whiteboard. Um, so what I wanted to do is I wanted to basically start asking you guys, you know, for your own business, what do you think impacts retention? You know, what is it that has an impact on your customers or your users coming back? Because it's pretty, it's pretty simple um, and it's pretty logical and it's also pretty much true to all of your businesses. So who wants to go first? Who wants to throw an idea forward? And not be shy. Yes. Yeah. So, so think of it more simply. So what is it about your product or service that makes people want to come back or not? Right. So it's really great. So quality of the first user experience. Awesome. So the quality of the first... You, that's pretty much what you said, right? The quality of the first... <laughs> It was the quality, I mean, that, that's, this is how I think of it. The quality of the first user experience, definitely. Yeah, they're going to be pretty pissed if they don't get to use it again, because it's just awesome. All right. We are in shortage. Okay. Anyone else? Yes, sir? Solves a problem. Does it solve a problem? That's different from quality of first user experience, I think. And we'll, we can talk about that. So, solves a problem or not. Is it a painkiller? Is it a vitamin? All right, who else? Yes, sir. Price. Price? Really born. Yeah, that's a really good one. Definitely on the friction side. Anyone else? Yeah. Is it addictive? Mm. Are they compelled to come back? 
Addictive, though, I would argue, is a function of a lot of other things, but we'll leave it on the board. Yeah. Mm, yeah, so, so engagement rate. Engagement rate, very good. <laughs> the engagement rate, which again is a function of other things, sub-function. All right, yes, sir? Cost of, cost of, yeah, switching costs. Oh, yes, that's a good one. That's a good one on the friction side. Switching costs. All right, yes? Uh, customer service. Customer service. Mm, quality of the first user experience, maybe? Level of support? Okay, <laughs> we'll, we'll put that one. So we can develop some sub, sub ones here. So we're gonna say customer service, all right. Yes. Um, yes, so alternatives. Mm, switching costs. We can put alternatives in here as well. Well, very true, yes. It should be a separate one, you're quite right. We're gonna put it over here. Alternatives. Okay, very good. Yes, we could be here for a while. Uh, consistency. Consistency. Mm. Fidelity. Mm. <laughs> I have thought about this. Yes. Yeah, so solves a problem. You didn't put up your hand. But anyway, it's fine. Go. That's okay. It's okay. Keep going. It's a free-for-all. Um, yeah, so it's kind of like, how much more awesome does it make me? Hmm. Yeah. I think, well, so fidelity for me is kind of like the, uh, the, the quality of the product or the quality of the feature. So low fidelity, you know, it's like barely usable. High fidelity, loads of features, really great UI, really great UX. But this one solves a problem. I would, I'm gonna put it up here. So performance enhancing, yes. Again. Convenience. Convenience. So, I am more likely to come back and use this product or service if it's convenient to use. Hmm. That, again, I'd say maybe is a sub-function of other things, but let's see. Yes, at the back. New product release, so a new version. Mm, yeah, because if I had a whole bunch of stuff that was messed up in the you know, first version, maybe it was fixed in the second version. So having a new version, everyone likes a brand new flavor. Okay, new version. Yes. Yeah, so mm, engagement rate? Yeah, yes. Ooh, external market conditions. Um, yeah. Let's talk about macro factors. <laughs> it's kind of the same thing. Uh, at the back, yes. Network effects. Mm, yes. Very good. Network effects. All right. Let's do maybe two more. Yes. A recurring need, yes. Very good. A recurring need. Mm. Okay, one more. Someone hasn't done one yet? Good retention, yep. Oh yes, no, no, you go, you go. 
ease of access. Hmm. Accessibility. Okay. Accessibility. So this is a good bunch of possible reasons that determine whether people come back or not. You can then take these reasons and you can sort them into desire or into friction. So desire, how much do I want this product, need this product? That's things like, um, let's see, you know, performance solves a problem, quality first user experience is friction, price is friction, uh, addictiveness is probably, so addictiveness is again going to be a function of the experience, the UI, the UX. So again, I'd probably put that on the desire side. Engagement rates, definitely on the desire side. Switching cost friction side. And so you can sort these into desires and frictions. And then what you can do is you can literally take each one and be like, right, let's pick one of these and think about our own product or service or your own product or service. And what are the things that could actually drive that particular factor? So which one should we pick? Shall we pick quality of the first user experience? It's an easy one. It's right at the top. I'm just going to move these out of the way for now, just so we've got some space. All right, quality of the first user experience. So let's break it down. What goes into the quality of the first user experience? What are the factors that affect the quality of the first user experience? Does it work? Right? Fidelity? Does it have at least one usable feature that I can use? Design? Right? UX? UI? Does it solve a problem? the very first time I use it. If the very first time I use it is not going to solve my problem, less likely to go back. If it does solve my problem the first time, great, might come back. So problem solving the first time someone uses it. You know, in, in some businesses that have <clears throat> a physical product, looking at Colin at the back from Crew Cafe, um, delivery time matters, right? How long is it going to take me to give it? So I place my very first order. How long is it going to take to get me? If it takes three weeks... When I get Amazon Prime in two days, that's not so good. So it could be things like, you know, delivery time. And then the actual box arrives and what does the packaging look like? Does the packaging look good? Not look good? Does it make me feel special, warm and fuzzy when I open it or not? So the unboxing experience, dear to my heart. And then once I do open the box and I do feel warm and fuzzy, what's the product like? What's the packaging of the product like? Does it make me feel good? Does it look good? Does it make me feel special? Does it make me feel super awesome? When I take the product out of the box and I use it for the first time, can I use it for the first time? Or do I need to read a whole bunch of instructions? How much friction is there there? So ease of use. And then after you've got through all of these, does it work? Does it solve my problem? And so every business will have naturally a different level of desire. So you'll have the perfect customer, the perfect user for your business. And depending on what your product or service is, that desire can either be really sky high, or it can be like more moderate, or they can be like somewhat. And that isn't anything to do with your product. That's just the nature of the problem that you're solving. And every business solves a different nature of a problem. So for instance, let's think about a business that has really high desire. Like, I need that product. I need that service. My life is just, I can't live without it. Can anyone think of a product like that? Viagra. Viagra. Well, <laughs> I'm still a bit young. So I haven't encountered the problem. But yeah, if you really have a problem, and that's really important to you, you're going to go find a Viagra shop somewhere, right? So your desire is pretty high. Okay. 
Vaping? You're vaping? Or smoking? Oh, yeah. Smokers. That's a really good one. I, I am very sad to say I'm a smoker. I would do anything for a cigarette. I would, I would rob a granny for a cigarette if I didn't have any. So, so desire, really high. Viagra. And so let's say when buying Viagra, there's a lot of friction. Your conversion to purchase is still going to be really high because your desire is so high. And then let's say take a different product or service where the desire isn't quite as big. Your product may be more of a painkiller than, might, might be more of a vitamin than a painkiller. So your desire isn't as high, but it's really well optimized. You've got quite low friction. Your conversion is still going to be okay. It's not going to be as high just because the desire is really important. So you have to look at both the desire side and the friction side. And you have to literally take every single factor that you think could have any impact on that, you know, quality of the first user experience and you break it down and you get answers to your questions by asking users, by asking customers, bringing people in, doing interviews, be the customer, be the user yourself and literally go through every single one, make a list and work out what can we do to improve that? Because that's how you move the needle. You don't find a silver bullet because there is no silver bullet. There's no one thing ever. There's just lots of little things that together will add up to make a difference. Does that all make sense? Was that fun? Okay. Okay. So here's a few I prepared earlier. Um, quality of the user, version of the product. You know, the persona, the demographic, the pain sufferer of that particular user or customer that you've acquired. Getting 10,000 users to use your product or service doesn't mean anything. You have to understand who are these people, right? Uh, are they the right person? You know, what, what is the quality of the user? And so the kind of people that you might acquire at a really low cost are not the people actually going to stick around. You know, so be very clear when you're optimizing, when you're acquiring users, am I optimizing for low acquisition cost? So I've got really good numbers to show my boss that we've got all these new people. Or am I acquiring for users who are actually going to stick around and provide long-term value to this business? And then acquisition channel. You can get a lot of cheap users from really cheap channels. Anyone used Outbrain ads? Really low quality cost of inventory? You get loads of users, but they're never going to spend a penny, right? You know, the first experience with the product, how much desire, how much friction, what is the feature set? You know, the more features you have, the more usable the product is for the target user, but you don't need to build 10 features to figure out who is the target user. You start with one or you start with two. Be very clear on what is your um, value proposition. The fidelity of the product. So does it work? A lot of people in Europe, I think, think that a minimum viable product is like having a product with a single feature that doesn't really work. The MVP is shit. It's not. It has to at least have one feature that works. But be mindful, the kind of product, the kind of business, the kind of service that you're in will naturally have different levels of desire and you'll naturally have different frictions. And that will just vary, you know, market to market. Um, but a lot of these things are true, B2B, B2C, doesn't really matter what. You have to connect the dots. So when you're looking at the data and you're looking at all of the different, you know, touch points that you have with people, you have to somehow connect these things together. But to be able to connect the dots, you have to make some dots. And so I want to show you, it's a couple minutes, but I want to ba basically play you a video, which is one of my favorite videos of all time. This is one of Obama's final speeches. And he tells this wonderful story about how, if you remember in the first election that he ran, he had this really great um, campaign slogan called, Yes, We Can. And this was the rallying call for people. And he tells a story about how this actually happened. And had he not made any dots, he wouldn't have been able to connect them in this way. Alarm goes off, and I feel terrible. I am exhausted. Think I'm coming down with a cold. 
I open up the curtains. It's pouring down rain outside. Pouring down rain. Horrible day. I, I, I make myself some coffee. I, I get the newspaper outside my door and open it up. There's a bad story about me in the New York Times. I get dressed, shaved, walk out, just kind of still groggy, still staggering. My umbrella blows open. That ever happened to you? As I'm walking out. And I get soaked. Soaked. I'm just soaked. I get in the car. I said, right, how long is it going to take to Greenwood? An hour and a half. An hour and a half. So we're driving, and we're driving, and we're driving. Doesn't seem like we're going anywhere. Sheets of rain are pouring down. So I'm about to make my pitch. I'm trying to muster myself up. Uh, let me make the best of this. I'm going to do it quick, and then I'm going to get out of here. And suddenly, I hear this voice from the back just shout, Fire up! And everybody in the room says, fired up. And I say, ready to go. And then I hear the voice say, ready to go. And everybody in the room says, ready to go. And I don't know what's going on. I think these people are crazy. Maybe I shouldn't have come here. And then I look in the back of the room. And there's this middle-aged woman. And she's dressed like she just came from church. She's got a big church hat. And she got... A gold tooth. <laughs> Turns out she is holds a position in the local NAACP office. And also, I'm not kidding you, is a private detective. This is a true story. She's like a, a she's, she's like a private eye. Although it, it's hard to think that you wouldn't see her coming. She's very colorful. And she's grinning at me. And apparently, she is known wherever she goes by saying this chant, fired up. And everybody knows her, so they know that when she says fired up, they've got to say fired up. And when she says ready to go, everybody's got to say ready to go. And this is what she does. Every meeting she goes to, she does this thing, which is kind of strange. <laughs> so, the thing is, though, she keeps on doing it. And everybody keeps on, she says, fired up, and they say, fired up, and ready to go, ready to go. But the interesting thing is, after a while, I'm starting to get kind of fired up. I'm, 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 not, I'm, starting to, I'm starting to feel like I'm ready to go. And all those, all those negative thoughts and all those bad memories start kind of drifting away. And we have a great meeting with these 20 people. And they all say, we're going to support you. And we're going to go out there and work. And even after we left Greenwood, the rest of the day, all the campaigning, when I saw my staff, I said, are you fired up? They said, I'm fired up, boss. Are you ready to go? I, I'm, I'm ready to go. And it just goes to show you how one voice can change the world. And, and if and if it can change a room, it can change a city. And if it can change a city, it can change a state. And if it can change a state, it can change a nation. And if it can change a nation, it can change the world. So I just have one question for you, New Hampshire. Are you fired up? Ready to go?
five stars. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud and leave us a read with your thoughts on our show.